0: Welcome Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a new podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I'm Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am glad to be joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger. He is professor of history and chair of the arts and sciences department at Lancaster Bible College. Of course, as a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer And as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and a passion for our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions and explore connections that come out of the sermons. Today we will be discussing the first sermon in our new series from Luke 15 that began Sunday, February 21st entitled The Lost Sons. It's better known to many of us as Jesus's parable of the prodigal son. And in this episode, we'll talk about how to hear a parable, the youngest son's death wish on his father, and ultimately what lies behind the selfishness of the youngest son in this story. And of course, along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Enjoy the ride.
1: This week uh, is after Luke has. Pastor Luke has taken us into a new series, so he's finished Galatians, which I've heard a lot of good things about. Pastor Luke, I think it was um, life giving for the for the congregation to walk through an entire book that way. And I think, as you said, you said it's funny because you said in the in the sermon series that you were speeding up, you know, you had to get through you know, Galatians. You had to move at yeah. a sprint pace. I think for some people, actually, whether that's true, it felt almost like we were slowing down enough to actually deal with Galatians in bite-sized pieces. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I've, what I've heard, I think that was life-giving and really helpful. So.
0: Yeah, I, I was telling Terry Lynn on Sunday how happy I was not to say law-keeping and circumcision <laughs> on Sunday. I mean, it was great. I grew so much. But at the end of, uh, I wish somebody would go back and count how many times I used that phrase, law-keeping and circumcision. Well, since you read answer. from a
1: text, that's actually possible.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: That's, <laughs> that's a quick word count. Yeah, we can do that. In so, so this week you moved us into Luke 15. And I, I I remember when you even mentioned it, I think on the previous podcast, that you're going to go through several weeks just in this parable. It seems like difficult to pull out that much from this one story. But you, you, seem, you seem to be leading us to the fact that this story's got these layers that are all connected, but there are multiple layers that allow you to focus in on the one layer. So... So this week, you're bringing us just into the introduction. How, how is this going to unfold? How does this, how do we get a sense of the whole parable by just looking at these first pieces? Um, yeah,
0: no, this? I think that's a good question. And I do, I, I think I said on Sunday that uh, this is one I hope we can sort of move in and and uh, create some space inside of and sit with. I think one of the first things that's really important to me is that we're hearing the story every Sunday morning, like um This allows me to do a little rabbit trail a bit uh, on how important the word read in our midst is as a people together, gathered together under the authority of Christ in submission to his word, how beautiful it is that we sit together and hear um, something read that we uh, submit ourselves to in a way. I think if you think about it, where else do you do that in in your life where else do you gather with other people and sit and listen to something read that you that you're giving yourself to I, I don't know i think that's an interesting
1: well person. you know we, we did this as i recall was it last year year before where keith had us memorize uh, a text and every week we read it mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and um, yeah you know,
0: that's right that's i think right.
1: the hebrew tradition of doing this audibly mm-hmm. has been a bit lost on us we tend to just read it in our minds and move on but to hear right. it read, yeah, yeah i think will drive it into us
0: I don't know. I often like to, I I especially do this at the gospel reading, and this isn't, everybody doesn't have to do this. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but what I love to do is not read along when the gospel reading is being done, but to listen along, and that's a different, that's a different experience than when you're reading it. I'm not saying it's, uh, there are things to learn in reading along, too. I'm not arguing against that, but I I always think of Revelation um, as the one book at the end uh, in the letter in the opening it says blessed is he who hears these words read Mm -hmm. there's a special blessing for sitting and listening to the reading Mm -hmm. of of that book particularly and I I don't I don't think it's just limited to there but there is this blessing for hearing so that's one way but I think um the other the other thing that I'm excited about doing is thinking about this story in a particular context and I think that's that's what I'm arguing uh, for us to do together. And that is in the context of this season where we are giving ourselves to a focused time of self-examination and repentance and returning to uh, be welcomed by the forgiveness of God and Jesus. And I think that when we hear the story in that context, um, that makes it a little different than just blowing through it as a story that Jesus used to, um, in, in his in his earthly ministry. And and I think that's a useful thing as well for us. Well, let me it, ask you in
1: light of that, because I had a conversation with a parishioner, and I won't name who that is, but he'll know it as soon as he hears this, mm-hmm. um, is the idea that why would we take time to focus on repentance when we should be repenting every day? Yeah. And I think there's a point to be made, right? We don't say, well, we'll, we'll do repentance during Lent, but at the same time, there's a reason why we might repent all the time and then take some time to focus on maybe why we repent? Or do we take time through this uh, parable to focus on the concept of repentance? Or are we doing more of it
0: now this season we normally do? What, what's what's going on here? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. It's actually one I, I anticipate hearing from people because I think it's a good and fair question. And um, I may have heard that same question from that same parishioner. Again. Um, <laughs> Right into us and tell us who you are. Uh, no, but um, I, I, I think one of the things that I think a lot about as why we would do uh, spend special attention on it is I think I said in the sermon like our humanity gets in the way. Yes, of course, there's a lot of things we should be doing every day that we don't do every day um, and there's a lot of things that only get done Seasonally, that ought to be done, <laughs> done every day, but there's a sense in which, and again, um, it's not it's not the season itself. Let's say of Lent, it's not the season of Lent itself that means there is particular um, richness uh, and that forgiveness is particularly available during a Lenten season. There's no there's nothing going on like that. But I think the value that we find is taking a moment to give ourselves particularly and focused to something in the way that if um, if your marriage is struggling, there might be times where you seek out help from outside of your marriage, um, whether it's in a counselor or a trusted friend or, 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 or someone else that you know loves you and your wife and cares for you and wants to walk you through this time. I think that's what we're doing by taking this season uh, of Lent to examine our hearts and to and and to deepen our knowledge of our own hearts. And then also, I think Dan, part of this time, is, and what I love about this parable, is being reminded of who the Father is mm. for us, his children, because I think, I think that is something that we often uh, are in danger of of forgetting, and I'm not making that up. That's Israel's story, right? Um, Exodus, I bring you out, I redeem you. Exodus has this great idea of redemption, but they were always forgetting that it was his love and his mercy and his goodness that was leading them out and into and through some difficult things. So anyway, I, I love to think about this as a time to remember who our father is as well.
1: Well, that's really helpful because I think that connects to me what you were doing partly Sunday by re-looking at the name of it. Because when I was thinking about afterwards, I was talking with my wife uh, and kids on the ride home and then at home about it, was that the idea of prodigality, that there's this, this, this wrong that the son has done, right? Yeah, focuses in on what happens when you go the wrong way? And so the whole focus is on the evil of the son and, and what happens when you give to a life of prodigality and you do all these evil things. But when you reframe it as the lost sons, then we're actually looking, we're actually seeing this time of suffering as what points us back to the love of God. Yeah. That they're, that's all part of the story, no matter how you tell it. But by saying the lost sons, it does, it reorients this to say, this is the lead up to or the precursor to what the story is all about, which is the love of the father.
0: Yeah. Is yeah. that what
1: you were doing there?
0: Yeah, exactly. That that it reframes it and the lost son's story becomes the story of a son who finds himself in the love and feast of his father. Hmm. And that, to me, is such a beautiful and helpful um, image to have about the father that I think sometimes we miss in at least in my own upbringing, there were times that that was not what was emphasized in this story. Um, and And so yeah, I think coming 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 into this story in this time of Lent, um, and coming into a parable in the time of Lent, um, I think is a really important. and and also I think the other thing that's really important to remember is that, God's own people had seasons in their lives. The very way that he ordered their um, religious life in the Old Testament was filled with seasons and, and um, special days of, of, of observation and, and particular attention given to certain things. And I'm not arguing for us to continue all the Old Testament feasts and rituals, but I'm simply saying when you pull back in the general life of god's relationship with his people built into that were times and seasons of yeah. particular attention to particular ways that god was at work in their um in their life as his children yeah
1: yeah well i i yeah i, I appreciated you reframing it. and i like the fact that you put it in this triptych of the lost son the lost coin the lost sheep coin yeah it, it helps jesus is almost building up and the the focus is not on the lostness, it's on the foundness, it's on right. that, that second part of it. And that, I think there was another thing that you said Sunday, which I thought was really helpful, because we've often heard of this idea of the parables as Jesus teaching, mm-hmm. that is true, um, but it's, it's bad teaching from my perspective, because he was teaching to conceal as much as teaching to reveal. Right. And I think what you said, put meat on that more than normal for me, because you said it's really the heart of the hearer. Mm -hmm. and this this goes to what jesus is talking about when he gives the parable of the seed and the sower that it's the soil that determines how well the seed is received and as the Uh, same gentleman that brought this previous account to me said you pray for good soil yeah i think there's a lot there's humility in that that we say we want to approach this parable and if we really approach this parable we can turn our minds up but we need to turn our repentance on pretty high and that's
0: and that's sort of the point that i was made yeah i I, I, I'm with you. People talk about what a genius Jesus was with these parables. And, and I'm like, man, I read some of these, and I have no idea what's going on sometimes. And I wonder what people thought when they heard them. Did they really, did you really get off? Anyway, yeah. I, but, might, I might get fired if I taught like that. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. <laughs> but the, what, what I, what I talked about was that um, it seems like, That whole saying that the prophets, um, the prophets would have said, he who has ears, let him hear. Um, Jesus, of course, picks that up in his his parables as well. But that idea of he who has ears, let him hear. And then, of course, the the condemnation that we find in in the early chapters of Isaiah, where it says having ears, but they don't hear having eyes that they don't see. That idea is, is the other side, but yeah, my what what I'm suggesting is that, and this is not original to me, but what I'm suggesting is that in the face of a parable, what predisposes us to hear it, or and understand it, or to become or or something the truth to be hidden from us, is sort of the predisposition of our heart toward the Father. Mm. And I think, like your friend mentioned, that's where you pray for that good soil. And and in a sense, that was the message of the prophets to Israel throughout all this time. Yeah, there was the ritual things that they had to do, there was the temple cult that they were to engage in, and and all of that. But underneath all of that, where was the real circumcision that Mm -hmm. Jesus or God was always calling through his prophet? It was circumcision of the heart, that disposition. Of the heart toward obedience and 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 um, grateful receiving of God's word, which I think
1: sheds light on Jesus as prophet in His own Sermon on the Mount, that He was delivering as much a state of heart um, mm. as it is a theology. Right, this this how He He's setting the ground of how you're to approach the Father through Christ is this humility through this mourning through peacemaking, mm-hmm. all these very things that sound legalistic sometimes to right western protestant but in a sense was also the posture we were supposed to assume and Mm. and if we go if we connect it directly i don't know if you were doing this but so forgive me if you aren't but the posture therefore of the youngest son was exactly not that posture and so would not have been willing to listen or learn from the father and so are we to take from this that if we come to this parable in a Mm. poor posture we're sort of assuming the same posture as the youngest son
0: yeah no I, i i think you're exactly right and that um, he could not, the, the younger son's journey, in a sense, is predicated upon the fact that he could, he was already hardened towards mm. the father's heart toward him. Mm. I mean, the question that he asks and the demand that he makes is at root, a, it, it's out of a culture of suspicion towards the love and goodness mm. of his father and of the situation that he finds himself in in his father's house. Mm. And I love, I, I'm sorry, I'm looking ahead. Keith preaches this Sunday, and I preach the following Sunday, so I'm not even looking at his verses. I'm looking at mine now. <laughs> That's his problem, not mine. Yeah. It's a good thing you don't have that
1: self-centeredness problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not a problem for me. But, um, but when it says the, in verse 17, which we'll get to, but when he came to himself... And this is after all his hunger, and he realizes it's actually after his hunger. He comes to himself and he says, "How many of my father's hired servants have more than bread enough, but I perish with hunger?" I will. It's at this point he he comes to himself through mm-hmm. his hunger, and I just think um, there is the sense in which the younger son, the younger son's heart, his mind is brought out of. The, the chaos and the fog of it mm. through the difficulty that he experiences in his hunger, the pain in his hunger. What, what, there, there's a connection there between his hunger and his coming to his senses, mm. and um, I'll save it all for the sermon, but I'm already thinking about the role that hunger and food and satisfaction plays in our relationship with, I mean, at the center of our cult worship And I don't mean that. You know what I mean? At the center of our Christian worship is a meal. Jesus, as the bread come down from heaven. um, I I think there's a lot. It's a new
1: topic for you, Luke.
0: Yeah, exactly. I never get brand new,
1: fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh topic. Yeah. So so let me ask you something in light of that. Um, um, Sorry if I cut you off there, but it's the standard line that I hear often when I hear it in this parable is the younger son of the Gentiles and the older son of the Jews. Mm-hmm. You you seem to lean on that this hunger is universal, um, that this experience and you even I think at one point said that what if all of humanity, it, it, are you saying in a sense that when the son turns from the father and you 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 compare this to Eve and the apple so you're making this very universal, Jew Gentile like this is what sin is at its root is we've turned from the father and his good gifts yeah. um, to take them for ourselves and to and you and you said to use them for the self rather than use them for the community which I thought mm-hmm. was. A helpful framing of this right because you if you took the money yeah. from the father you spend it back into the community here right, you doing right, it. Right. is it the universal condition is that what you're saying
0: i think it is i i think you see this same pot uh, what i think i was trying to say is that you see the same posture of the son worked out only in a different way in the older son
1: yeah right
0: right and and, and so it's the the, the elder son's heart is no more warmed toward the father, is no more soft towards the father, in a sense, than the younger son. Mm-hmm. But he manages it differently. He expresses it differently. He um, he has different things at stake. And I don't, again, I think you have to be careful about how far <laughs> you can go with right some it, of this. Right stuff. I, can't, I can't know um, exactly what what's going on there with the elder brother. But I think what we see clearly is the same hardness of heart that leads the brother into a far country, at least at the end of our story, is the same hardness of heart that leaves the son outside the feast Mm -hmm. that has been thrown at the appeal of his father, in a direct appeal from his father. So yeah, I think I would argue that. So let me, so what it, could,
1: could we say that, if we're tying back into your previous comment, that it's the condition of the heart and and what you said in the in the sermon was that as i said before parables reveal and conceal
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that if we do the you know the pharisaical prayer oh at least i'm not the younger son we already put ourselves in a position where we don't understand this parable oh mm-hmm. well, oh i'm not the older son i would never do that if right. if what we're looking for is the proper soil here or the proper hearing of this
0: mm-hmm.
1: if we sense in ourselves that we're we're saying we're not either of these sons is that already have we already missed the point here?
0: I think so. And I think that's a perceptive uh, point to make, uh, what you're making is, and I think what that does is <clears throat> these two sons are two examples of lostness, uh, mm-hmm. but they're not the exhaustive example of lostness, because ultimately what this parable about is about is about a God who, a Father, who glories in forgiveness through repentance of his children and rich relationship with his children so yeah if if you get hung up on well i'm not the son because i would never do that to my family well, and i'm certainly not the elder i'm not the younger son because i would never do that to my family i'm not the elder son because i've never treat my father that way you've sort of missed the real heart is what ways do you continue to resist the love and the forgiveness of god in jesus Mm. and i think that's a that's some of the things that i hope we get to sit with as we move through the little movements that these this parable presents us by the younger son and the elder son well that's good because i think
1: what i don't want to be the one from whom christ is concealing that wisdom but um But if we see this as a repentant heart, which I think is how soil gets softened, Mm. we see that, yeah, and and then Jesus talks about those two people praying, and you've got the sinner and tax collector saying, just forgive me, I'm a broken sinner, and the the scribe or the Pharisee saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not that man. It seems like the the root condition we need to have to come to this parable so that we actually have something revealed to us Mm. is, in fact, this ability to be repentant and go, actually, I see younger son in me and I see older right. son in me and I see all the spots in between in me right. is how this becomes very revelatory all of a sudden rather than yeah rather than concealing, concealing I suppose
0: right and 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 it is that yeah it is I, I like what you're doing there um, because what it says is I'm approaching this with humility and I am looking for the ways in which the kingdom is calling me out of whatever ways I'm resisting the father's love and that that sort of is the posture of a disciple isn't it In, in, in a sense as well I mean how is the kingdom calling me out of these places where I resist the father's love I resist um the lordship and the kingship of jesus in mm-hmm. certain areas of my life
1: so maybe it's maybe there's a, a reason we could say the two sons are less two examples than they are two poles on a spectrum mm. and you've got a lot of range you, may, you you see yourself as all sorts of places on that spectrum right. yeah exactly so let me, let me bring up real quick. Child.
0: what's that the, the dreaded middle child <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right that's where i fit in i get to there be everywhere go. between the two poles the best and the worst um or just the worst and the worst. Me bring up for, for me one of the questions I had in this and let you let you wax on it maybe I misunderstood you when you're speaking or maybe you can just tease it a little bit is when you were you were identifying the sin of the younger son and you said that the what identifies both of these sins and so the spectrum is entirely defined by is this idea of putting self at the center right that that's the that's the that's the attitude which defines a leaving of the father or rejecting of the father Mm-hmm. Um, by putting self at the center, is that is that? Um, h- how do we understand that? Because I think sometimes some of us see people that who aren't Christians that seem very selfless to us. So, are, are have they figured it out, or are they somehow selfish, even though they're appearing selfless? H- how do we understand that self at the center as the the identifying mark of someone that's walked away from the goodness of the Father?
0: Yeah, I think if I had to. Think about it. I, I agree with you. I like I like this question because I think it's a layer deeper than I I was in the sermon, and I think the layer deeper that you've asked is, and, and I think it's a good question, and I, I can imagine others asking it. Uh, and and I remember I, I have some anecdotal stories that I won't get into about um, people in my own family never leaving the church and never coming back because they found a more selfless community outside of, of the church. I mean, I have real hard and fast stories I could tell you, which I won't do that. But, um, so I think it's an excellent question. Is there a sense in which selfishness and selflessness, um, exists outside of Christianity? And the answer is a resounding yes. I mean, we've all experienced selfishness within this community, uh, if we've been around long enough to know that, yes, we do not have the corner on the market on selflessness. Right. Right,
1: right.
0: But I think what's interesting is to think about is prior to that, I think there is a way that the selfishness is only a symptom of something that has happened Mm. before that, if Mm. that makes sense. Mm. And I think what's happened before what we see, even in the parable of the prodigal, it's almost like we're picking up after something has happened. Mm. And I think it is that rejection of love from the father, Mm. and, and place in the father, and rejection of identity as the son so i started the sermon by talking a bit about uh for the son to even make this question is a death wish right um and so selfishness so so if we were to recast it and take into account like the good question that you're asking i think there's a way to say selfishness flows out of something prior to it Hmm. which is a rejection of One's identity as son of the father, Mm. at least in this story, Mm. and so I think if if we were to carry that through, if we were to reject who we are and who we were created to be, which if if we're talking now about the world, we know that humanity was created in the image of God, to image God and to worship this God in this Creator creature distinction with God as our father and we as his children. So I think, in a sense, that's what's happened prior to this. There's been this rejection of identity somehow. And I again, we can't psychologize too much. We can't say too much. But So then it seems to me that any, that selfishness, self-centeredness, what I called a deep and abiding preoccupation of the self, always flows out of that rejection but there's also a way i think to have rejected your your fundamental identity as create create god's special creation and still live and do things that aren't patently and abidingly selfish yeah so i that that's i think what how i would say why, yes, I'm, I'm certain that there are communities that are far less selfish than the church. And that could even be deemed selfless, and there are selfless acts by an atheist, uh, as right. we've talked about. Um, but that doesn't mean that, pri- that what that is living out of is this rejection of, the, of our fundamental identity. Right. And they're going about, and again, um, so that selfishness is still a self, it, it, it is still a reconstructing of our own identity around, or the selflessness is what I'm trying to say, is yeah. a reconstruction of our identity outside of the identity that we've been given. So there could be very good reasons that you would want to construct your identity as selfless.
1: Yeah. That's really I, I like that. I, um, I, I think of the um, yeah, the, the finally our identity is tied back into who God is. And once that gets broken and you actually said that in the sermon, I, I appreciate you drawing that back around because you talked about this is what the child. This is what the son does at first by rejecting his father. Once that rejection happens, then he moves on to the next step, which I think this can get complicated just because there's a psychological element right. selfishness and there's a theological element. Right. Augustine's very clear that there's only two loves, love of self and love of God. Um, And that's a theological truth. But psychologically, there are people that seem to love others um, very selflessly. But I I I think you've tied it together in a way to say the theological root of this is to not love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And once you've decided not to do that um, by sin, then everything else is counted sin.
0: Yeah.
1: Even if it looks selfless, it's still re-identifying yourself. It's somehow against the authority of God. That that's the dividing factor, which I think you, you rightly showed happens in the younger son, and we'll admit that it happens to the older son.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it's a good thing in a sense that selflessness exists outside of the Christian world, right? It, mm. it is common grace. <laughs> it's God's common grace that, that in society, at, at least at our point in our Western society, it is not in vogue just absolutely be as selfish as you possibly can and i think there's there's a sense in which like what we've talked about if the theological presupposition is that you're doing this in order to construct your identity Mm. that does not save you that does not rescue you from yourself that does not put you in right relationship with god and yet it does contribute to society and and that's probably a whole nother ball of wax to, to, to dig at and, and, and pull apart and, and, um, yeah, but, but I think what it does say is
1: that selflessness is not the goal. Loving God is the goal.
0: Right. And that's, and, and I think that's, yeah. So if you think about the story and I'm always rushing ahead because it's one whole story, you can't talk about the (laughs) verses that you're just dealing with it, right? But where the sun I think there's a sense, and I think there's a sense in which what the son wants to do is come back and be selfless
1: mm.
0: and live a self more, a, a, a more mm. um, selfless existence in the father's house. And mm. the father won't let him do that. Mm. He wants to come back as a hired servant. Right. And I'll get into some of the details. He wants to come back in and he doesn't expect to be part of the family but what he wants to do is pay, begin to one commentator that i've been reading uh, argues that what he wants to do in coming back as a hired hand mm. is to be able to receive a salary for his work and begin to pay back the debt that he has incurred mm. in in the in the situation of his family and his father and the father won't let him come back and be a better person mm. He refuses that he he won't even let him spit that out. You, you remember in the in the parable, the son is laying there in the pigsty or whatever, and he's rehearsing. This is what I'll say to my father, blah, blah, blah. Well, he gets to his father and his father right. is just overwhelms yeah. him. and he doesn't he doesn't even let him finish. Right. It's almost like a, shut up. You're not doing that. You are my son. And I am restoring you back into the fellowship of father, son and son and um so i don't know i i'm interested now based on this discussion to see how i'm thinking about this idea of selfishness and selflessness uh mm-hmm. moving ahead because so, I, I think this has given me a new way to think about what the sun is doing because i was convinced before that when the sun says can i can i look at the text for a second Dan?" when the sun says he comes to himself How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That is not repentance Hmm. and the gospel. Hmm. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That is not what the gospel holds out for us. Hmm. So I wonder, you know, it it seems like some commentators have said that that treat me as your hired servants is he wants to come back and work off his debt, and, and you know, he doesn't want to be in the father's household. He, that's not all he's asking is to be a productive member of the society again. Mm.
1: That's interesting, but that, but the father is not interested in him just getting food. He's interested yeah. in the restoration of the relationship.
0: Yeah. He's not interested in the, in, in, in him becoming a productive member in a way that he wasn't, you know, all, I, okay, I don't know what the father's interested <laughs> in. What he, <laughs> want, what he really wants is restoration to that father-son relationship, Repent- which
1: maybe the younger son didn't even, con- obviously didn't conceive of. Yeah, faith, yeah,
0: yeah, couldn't even imagine that was a possibility.
1: Oh so, yeah, the overwhelming love of God in this case is beyond what even, yeah, we can imagine. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, and I, and so and so that I think that for me goes back full circle of what's the right heart condition to 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 approach this parable, and it's the utter being utterly overwhelmed by the grace of God, in which case the only response you have is repentance and thanksgiving, right? It just seems to be like there's no other response to
0: that. And I I think one more thing as I find myself wanting to um, encourage us into this season is this is not a season that um, this time that we're entering together, I don't know what everyone is doing individually as they do this, but I do hope that there's some sort of focused prayer because we're not just ending it, um, okay, Lent's over, now go back to your normal routine. What, what, what is the climax of our season? It's Easter. Easter. Yeah. I mean, th- we're moving somewhere to, we're going to contemplate this love of the Father, and then we're going to experience it in all of its fullness, and all of its world-changing, life-changing implications in the resurrection of the Son of God. Love overcomes death, gets up from the grave, and bestows that life on all of the children. All of us then at Easter are welcomed into this feast. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's another, just another thing to keep in mind that it's not just um, abstract. Okay, we're gonna focus on repentance for a while. No, we're doing this in order to get here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll bring a quote up I heard from uh, Ron Snyder just in his recent article announcing about his own health, um, repeated a quote from Yaroslav Pelikan Mm. while he was dying said if the resurrection has not happened nothing else matters if the resurrection has happened nothing else matters yeah and <laughs> yeah and i and i think that that to what you're saying to me makes sense that we 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 take this on for times you said that this is a this is a our our route back to the father this is our this is our return to the father we're doing so that we see at the end of this the world changing life changing reality which has already happened right through our dense heads and hearts sometimes we need to hear again and so to actually join the journey of the young son and the older son so that we can find repentance in this season and return I think is really helpful and um, I look forward to what it's going to do so well thank you Pastor Luke I appreciate again this time thank you
0: it's always fun it's always challenging and I'm always uh planning the next one
1: (laughs) (laughs) but we look forward to the next one we get to
0: talk about it thank you Pastor Luke blessings thank you Dan Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.